0: Welcome to Oral Presentations Podcast, episode 55, The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, the story of the first Thanksgiving. This is going to be a refresher course. If you went to public school, I think we all got some version of this story in first or third grade. I can't even really remember when it was taught to me. And the reason I'm doing it is because it's it's kind of in the title. Those ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, those aren't... The first Thanksgiving ships. Those aren't the pilgrim ships. Those are the Christopher Columbus ships. And I know that now. But I knew Thanksgiving was coming up. So I was thinking about doing the story anyway. And then my first thoughts was like. Alright well. I'll find out who was on each different ship. You know the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. And then one of the first things. I was reminded of. Is that those, are, those boats happened 200 years before this. Those are not anywhere near. And look I'm not. If you didn't know that, I'm not going to judge you for Obviously, I didn't know it. So, And if you did know it, well, good. I, did, I just didn't know it off the top of my head. When I, was, when I found out it was Mayflower, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I was wrong there. But I don't, I don't know how well you guys know your Thanksgiving trivia of, like, this story of what happened and who settled what. So I was just going to go through it. I didn't. And I also thought that maybe people don't really know the story of Thanksgiving. I was talking to a friend on the phone. And we were talking about Thanksgiving traditions and she brought up, she said that, you know how they cut a turkey's head off every year, they sacrifice a turkey every year at the White House. And I asked her, I was like, wait, what did you say? She was like, you know, they sacrifice a turkey every year as Thanksgiving, but that's, so she she thought that they were like Aztec warrior sacrificing a, tur- a turkey at the White House every year. I'd be like, no, they pardon a the turkey. It's not, they're not doing that. So I, I don't know. Maybe other people have. She didn't have her, her Thanksgiving information straight. So let's just, we're just going to go back over the original story. Who showed up from where? Why? And what happened? What, how did it go? Were there people? I also found out that there were already people in North America at this point in time. And if I think back to how I learned this in like third grade, I thought it was just a bunch of people got in a boat from England and crossed their fingers and just banged a left as far as they could go. That was, I, I thought that was the story. I found out, no, there was like, there's fishermen, the French were here, the Spanish were down South America, Columbus had already been here on the Nina, the Pint in the Santa Maria. Now, the, the voyage that the pilgrims made was really dangerous and they almost all died at sea, but people had been here before. I didn't know that either. So we're just going to be going over the story of the first Thanksgiving, just in case you don't remember it. I, again, I had shoddy memory of this. My friend thought they cut a turkey's head off on the White House. I mean, it just it's not the worst thing in the world. It's a holiday week. Let's just go over what this story is and who had the first Thanksgiving, where did it happen, because I, I certainly used it. I, I definitely needed it. So, All right, story of the first Thanksgiving. Where does it start at? Our story begins in England, and it has to do with the English Reformation. Now, if you don't know what that is, I I thought I took a guess at that, and I thought that had something to do with a religious split, so I had to double-check it. Okay, the English Reformation goes back to King Henry VIII, who is the big king with the red hair, and if you know him, he's famous for having a bunch of wives. People say that that's where the English Reformation started, because here's the thing. King Henry VIII, he really wanted a son— And all of his wives were having daughters. And he wasn't great at talking about problems in relationships. So he would solve it by either getting the church to grant him a divorce. Or he would cut their heads off or banish them. He had like eight wives. I should have done one of these on Henry VIII by now. That guy. Anyway, so the English Reformation started because King Henry VIII was like, I need a son. So I need a wife who can give me a son. And the church was like, dude, no more of these. You are out of control. So King Henry VIII split away from the, the Pope and the Catholic Church and made the Church of England, which was his own church, which was able to grant him, it was more of a political move than a religious move at the beginning, as I understand it. Again, I'm not an expert on English Reformation, but this is how I understand it. So that started the split away from the Catholic Church and the Pope in England, which then caused the Church of England, which is where we get the pilgrims. Because they after the English Reformation kind of slowed down, the pilgrims were a religious sect in England who were like, yo, we, we are not done with reforming yet. This is not enough reform. Now, when they were talking about this, it was like sixteen, uh, like 1617 is when the pilgrims started talking about like, yo, we need more reform. And King Henry Eighth was like 15, 1547, 1550, something like that. So it was a while after King Henry Eighth. There was actually a queen that was in power. And the pilgrims were like, hey, can we get some changes going? And she was like, no. And then the queen died and the king took over and the king was around for the Protestant Reformation. And so the pilgrims were like, fuck yeah, this guy's going to help us out. He's going to understand what we're doing. And when they appealed to that king, that king was like, no fucking way, dude. No, be quiet. What are you talking about? You can't, we're done with that. So the pilgrims were in England. They were like, this is fucking terrible. Nobody's listening to us. They won't listen to our ideas. Now the, the, the pilgrims, one of their, their, chief principles of their religion was it was uh like proto democratic. The the beginnings of democracy. They voted on everything inside of their of their church order. Now there was uh like an elder there was it was a government to the pilgrims themselves, but they were big on everybody gets a voice, everybody gets the vote. And so when they were talking to the king of England of like, yo, can we get these reforms? I think you should have everybody vote. The king was like, what are you fucking talking about? No, I'm not gonna have a populist movement inside of the church. I'm the king of England, dude. I'm not gonna have people think about how cool it is to vote on stuff and have a voice in their religion or in politics. I'm a king. I'm a monarch. Why would I help you do that? So the pilgrims were in England. They were like, this guy's not fucking listening to us. And the king was like, you guys got to shut up or you got to leave. So then the pilgrims led by a dude named William Bradford were like, fine. We're either going to get tortured to death or murdered or thrown in jail if we stay in England. It's a place talks anyway. We're going to the Netherlands. So the pilgrims led by William Bradford, After beefing with the English king and being like, I need more more religious reform, the king's like, get the fuck out of here, be quiet. They roll, and they go to the Netherlands. Now they settle in a town called Leiden. And if you've been around listening to this show since the beginning, you remember in the electricity episode, way at the beginning, Leiden, the Leiden jar? Same fucking place. The Leiden jar, real quick, way back in the electricity episode, they invented a thing uh, called a Leiden jar when they were fucking around at the beginning of electricity, When it was mostly magicians doing stuff with it like party tricks and lighting cognac on fire, make a bunch of money off side gigs. Anyway, early electricity, this same city, Leiden, they invented a thing called a Leiden jar and they could store up a voltage charge and, and you know, it could like, shock you if you touch the top of it. It doesn't sound very impressive, but for the time, people were like, holy fucking shit, what is that Leiden jar? Dude, that is crazy. You could shock people with that. It was a big deal. Anyway, so the pilgrims roll out of England. They're like, fuck it. King doesn't like us. We're going to the Netherlands. They settle in Leiden. and It's a pretty good fit. It's like 1620 in the Netherlands, which if you remember the Netherlands, right right around 16, 1600, when Dutch East India Company gets founded, the Netherlands is balling out right now. Now, they're very socially tolerant at the same time. They don't really care how you're living as long as you work. And they're mostly about money right now because they're stacking so much cash from the Dutch East India Company. The Netherlands is booming right now. It's a pretty good fit for the pilgrims after they leave England. The pilgrims are like, we get set up here. They tolerate our lifestyle. They like hard work. We like working hard. This will be fine. Now, problem arises because when the pilgrims are in the Netherlands, the pilgrims don't give up their campaign to change the Church of England more. So they're printing out a bunch of flyers and pamphlets, and they're mailing them back. They're they're putting them on people's cars in England and being like, hey, I'm just saying, I know we're in the Netherlands now, but don't These ideas pretty good. Don't you guys want to vote? King of England hears about this, and he gets so pissed, he calls up the Dutch government. He's like, yo, you guys got to shut these fucking guys up. They're flying all over my parking lots. I can't have my people reading this stuff. And the Dutch leadership talks to the king. And they're like, yeah, well, they're not breaking any Dutch law. So, I, I mean, we're not going to do anything. Honestly, you're the king of England. Have you heard of Dutch East your em- Trading Company? I don't have to listen to you at all. We're not gonna. I'm not going to yell at anybody they're not breaking Dutch law. They're fine. So the pilgrims are having a pretty good time in Leiden at this point in time. Unfortunately... Living in the Netherlands in a free social environment like that kind of stacks up on the Pilgrims because there's a little bit too much sinning going on. People are sneaking out. Somebody bought a fleshlight. Somebody found it. I don't know what happened, but William Bradford and the Pilgrims spend too much time in Leiden and there's a debate amongst themselves of like, all right, we're kind of, we're, some people are doing some things out here. I heard somebody got head. I found a fleshlight around here. We're getting a little crazy. We got to remember who we are. Okay? So they take a vote, and they're like, either we're going to stay in Leiden, we're going to buckle down, we can't go back to England because they already threw us out once, or, here's what I'm saying, we could go to North America. I'm talking about the New World. Us, all our friends, get on a boat, we'll just see what happens out there. you know? They take a vote, and that's what they decide to do. So, at this point in time, the Pilgrims leave the Netherlands, and they stop back in England just for a second. They're just picking up a boat. Now, on the, they pick up the Mayflower. Not the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. They get on the Mayflower. And they didn't even own the Mayflower, I found out. They rented it. I don't know who they rented it from or when they fucking, when that rental was due back. But they it was a rented boat, the Mayflower. So a total of 102 people get on the Mayflower, including William Bradford. And they set off and they, they leave England. And what they're gunning for is New York. They're looking for the Hudson. They... The Pilgrims apparently bought a plot of land. They had a claim to a plot of land at around the Hudson. So that's what they're going for. They're on the rented Mayflower. There's 102 of them, but not all 102 people on that boat are Pilgrims, because again, there was already people. There was English fishermen, all sorts of people already in North America. There just wasn't the Pilgrims colony in North America. People were over there trying to make money, fur trap, and doing all that stuff. But this is the story of the first Thanksgiving. So. 102 people on the Mayflower. Not all of them are pilgrims. Some of them are just dudes hanging out. You know, they're going to go try to fur trap, figure it out. And they, those guys kind of accidentally get on a cruise with mostly like a church group is most of the cruise. Like the, the church group didn't buy out the whole cruise, but they bought out most of it and they figured nobody else would come on the cruise. And then these handful of other people and sailors are like, man, this is mostly like a Kirk Fox group. I don't, all right, I guess we're going to the new world. But either way, they set sail and the pilgrims amongst themselves. They're like, all right, we got other people on this boat that uh, they are not of our religion, but we're going to be tolerant to them because the pilgrims had this idea. It was, it's called mutually assured tolerance. Okay. So in the pilgrims, religious thinking, I believe it comes okay. So they're saying, they said that only God in theory is perfect. And so everything that a person thinks is imperfect, no matter how perfect you think it is. And so when you talk to somebody else, although their thinking is also imperfect, it may be imperfect in a way that's different from your imperfect. And so you might be able to learn something from that person. And so because of that, the pilgrims were down to get along with people because they would be like, all right, well, I know what I think. Now, also, the pilgrims 100 percent had Tim Tebow belief that they were completely correct and destined to make a new settlement uh, the, in in the new world and start a whole new culture across the Atlantic ocean. They totally believed in that, but they also had this belief of mutually assured tolerance. So they had a tendency to get along with people when they had to, when they talked about it. Now they didn't have the best manners because on the Mayflower voyage, it was said that amongst themselves, they called each other saints. Like what's up, St. Mike, St. Bob, how you doing? It's raining out today. But they called other people who were not in the church strangers, like to their face, which I guess isn't a big deal, but also that's it's kind of tough to take a cruise with people who would do that. But either way, they got along enough. But things got bad. They left in August. They didn't really plan ahead. They just It was sort of a spur-of-the-moment, spontaneous vacation, road trip. And those almost always end up with you and your girlfriend fighting. It's kind of what happened here. Pilgrims got on the Mayflower at the wrong time. They end up in the Atlantic Ocean. They left in August. They shouldn't have done that. They get T-boned with a ton of storms. So much so that they have to put the sails down. And they just spin around, dude. They're just doing the the teacups ride at Disney, flying around the Atlantic Ocean. They go off the course. The Koopa Troopa from Mario Kart has to pick them up and put them back on Rainbow Road. They don't know where the fuck they are. That track's so long, they have no idea how far behind they are. They get all the way lost, and they're going for New York City at this point in time. And it's sixteen twenty, so they don't have GPS. They just got spun around. They don't know what they're doing. And then eventually like, all right, let's just keep going. So they put the sails back up. They get T-boned again by storms. And people are sick and dying the whole time. The pilgrims were not, they they weren't built for the sea. They were on this thing, like they were, they were on a plane flying somewhere. They're not savvy at being on water. And this caused the sailors that were working the boat to resent them a little bit. Anyway, they get T-boned by another storm. Everybody's sick and dying. There's not enough food. It's a mess, dude. People are just rolling around on the floor. So one of these sailors resents the pilgrim so much that he, he says so much that it was documented that, uh, he was like, well, why don't we just throw them overboard? They're useless anyway. Let's just put them in white sheets to throw them overboard. I'm sick of them. Right? So two days later, that guy who was talking that shit dies on the boat, just dies. And then they end up throwing him overboard. And it was said that At that funeral where they threw that guy overboard in a white sheet, all the pilgrims gathered around, and when they threw him off the boat, all the pilgrims were like, Oh, shit! (laughs) Anyway, so the pilgrims having a hard time. That guy died. uh, But eventually, they get through it. Now, the mast did crack on the Mayflower. They got hit by such a bad storm that the mast, like the main upright, cracked, but they fixed it. But that was the point in time where they had to decide, like, yo, either we're turning around, and we're pretty much done because we don't have enough money to try this again. If we turn around, we can't start our religious colony and our society based upon voting. We're not gonna, we're never gonna do this again. Either we keep going, we figure it out, or we gotta turn around. And the mass was cracked. So but they persevered and they kept going. And eventually they did end up in Boston like around Boston in Massachusetts. They didn't they didn't get New York. They didn't even come close. I mean Close in that they didn't hit Florida, but I mean, they, they had a plot of land in the Hudson, but they got spun around so hard in the Atlantic ocean. They didn't know where the fuck they were at. So they end up, they pull up next to Cape Cod, like around Cape Cod. So they stop and that's in Massachusetts, which I didn't know the Pilgrims hit like Boston area. They, they, I didn't know. Again, I thought I would have guessed Connecticut or Maine, but no, they, they roll up in Massachusetts. Now they get off the first time they get off. They're like, all right, what's up? They go explore the beach. And they find all these food stores. And nobody said that they worried about whose they were. They just said that they thought they were a gift from God. And they eat all of these, all of the seed, all the corn they find. They just, they find somebody's abandoned snack store and they eat everything. Right? And But eventually they stay there for a couple of days. And then, because they were terrified of Native Americans, all the pilgrims heard just urban legends and rumors about native americans they didn't have any concrete evidence on what it would be like to encounter them so as they hit the new world and then they ate all this stuff and then they saw some people moving around in the forest they were terrified oh they only heard rumors of cannibalism and all sorts of stuff so they get back on the mayflower and they're like all right whatever let's take some seeds with us sorry about that then they sail across cape cod and then they land on because they landed on the hook part of cape cod if you don't know what Cape Cod looks like, it's like Massachusetts is like a Lego. And then Cape Cod is like a hook that comes out. So they hit the hook part of Cape Cod, ate everything, and were like, oh, no, we're going to get in trouble. Got back on the Mayflower and then hit main, like mainland United States, Massachusetts. They landed in a place called Plymouth. But Plymouth Rock is where you get the the name from the story. Now, before they actually get off the boat to get on Plymouth Rock and start trying to make their little settlement and see what's going on here, By the way, so many people died on this voyage. So many people died already. Numbers not looking swole, but they left that place where they thought they might get attacked. Now they're actually on Plymouth Rock. Before they go ashore, they get together, and I'm including this. This sounds like it would be a test answer in like a world histories class. That's why it it just kind of feels important. It feels like I knew this like 20 years ago. Now before they get off the boat, they, they get together and they create a document called the Mayflower Compact. And this is a set of laws for how they expect themselves to govern themselves when they go ashore and they create their society. And it includes uh, the democratic values, the idea of uh, like secular marriage. It's a document that they put together before they even get off the books. They have to plan. They, they didn't even know if they were going to survive or not. They definitely didn't draft this. They probably should have wrote this up before they left. Honestly, it feels like doing homework at the last minute. But either way, they draw up the Mayflower Compact right before they get off. Now, they don't all get off at once. William Bradford goes ahead in a scouting party in a small skiff to go ashore to see what's good. What's going on here? We had a little bit of bad luck when we ate somebody's food. I'm not even sure who's back there. Not trying to get caught for that. Let's go ashore and see what's going on. So, with most of the people still in the Mayflower, William Bradford goes ashore and just kind of looks around. And it's it's not great. There's a lot of human skeletons on the beach. He's walking around he's like this is this looks like a bad sign it's mostly sand human skeletons and everybody's thinking about the rumors they've heard about native americans about how they'll they're going to kill everybody you guys aren't safe and everybody's st- so sick from the from the sea voyage they're getting oregon trail diseases and that's only going to get worse but when they first go ashore no contact with native americans a lot of a lot of human skeletons pretty spooky Kind of a creamy acres vibe, and they're like, all right, whatever, let's go back to the boat and let's get everybody. So they go back to the Mayflower. William Bradford gets on board. He's like, hey, what's up? It's kind of creepy out there, but I think we're all right. Let's get off the boat. And somebody comes up to William Bradford and is like, yo, real quick, your wife fell off the boat. She's dead now. People don't know if William Bradford's wife did have an accident and fall off the boat that day, or if she killed herself. It's kind of a mystery because William Bradford in his diaries doesn't talk about her after the day she falls off the boat. There's speculation both ways. I don't know. Either way, William Bradford finds a skeleton beach, loses a wife. Everybody gets off the Mayflower. Setting up shop. How's this going to go? Everybody's so sick. People are dropping from fever, dysentery, scurvy, lack of vitamin D, killing a bunch of people. I mean, they're starving. Disease. I mean, there's, there's no medicine, and people are already in bad shape getting off the boat. The first winter, they land in November, and the first winter, they lose... 50% of the people they have that got off the boat. People already died on the way here. The number of people that got off the Mayflower to try to make it happen in Plymouth Rock. First winter, half of them are dead. All sorts of all sorts of people freezing to death. Also, they had no contact with Native Americans at this point in time. So aside from everybody dropping from disease in the small settlement the Pilgrims set up, they're also terrified of attack from Native Americans. So everybody's sick, but they still got to go on guard duty. And it was said that when somebody died of disease, the Pilgrims buried their dead at night as a way to hide their numbers. Because they were pretty sure they were being watched. Because over when they ate all those snacks that they shouldn't have, they knew that they were being watched. And it wasn't that far away. They were pretty concerned that they were being watched. So they, they would have to bury their dead at night. So the Native Americans couldn't get an accurate count of how many people they would have to fight if they were going to annihilate the camp. It was a tough winter. Everybody died. Half people died. Things start warming up March 16th, 1621, when a tribe member from the Wampanoag tribe walks out of the woods to say what's good. Now, everybody in the settlement, kind of leery when this happens. They haven't had any contact, but this guy walks out. His name's Somerset. He walks out, and he's like, yo, what's good? How are you guys making out? Can speak English. This part of the story, I, didn't, I this is when I put together that there was like fishermen, because that's how Somerset learned how to speak English. The guy walks out. I guess they've been watching the whole time. March 16th walks out and just like, hey, how are you guys making out out here? Meanwhile, I mean, William Bradford meets with him and a couple other people, and they try to put on a face like, ah, things are going pretty good, but their pilgrim hats are all wrinkly. Somebody's wife's in the back throwing up like a dog. Like, they're not doing well. But they try to be like, we're hanging out. Nice to meet you, Mr. Somerset. And uh, they give Somerset bread and beer, uh, which Somerset asked for because uh, he knew that only Europeans had that stuff as a way to just kind of hang out and say what's good. So then, after the first meeting, Somerset's like, hey, I'll tell you what, give me a couple days, I'm going to have the chief come back, he's going to meet with you guys, and he'll bring his translator, if you think I can speak English well, you got to get a hold of this other guy. The chief's translator, that guy can write it, that guy can speak it, you guys are going to have a great time. Give us two days, we'll come on back and we'll meet with you. So there's two very nervous days in the history of the Pilgrim Settlement right now, where they're just they don't know if they're going to get attacked or what, but allegedly the chief's going to come back with a translator and things will be okay but they're still sick as a dog (laughs) like everybody's dropping they really don't have they're not going to survive they don't get help somewhere so two days pass and the chief of the wapanog tribe called uh, chief massasoit and the translator come to hang out and talk to william bradford and strike a deal see if we want to hang out see what's going on here so there's two very tense days in the history of the pilgrims waiting to see if this is going to happen and then two days go by and Chief Massasoit and his translator come back to meet with William Bradford and the Pilgrims, sit down, see if they can strike a deal here. Now, the translator's name was Squanto, which I had heard before, but I had never been able to place. I feel like I've heard that name before. That's—I mean, I don't know if this is the Squanto, but I imagine it is. Squanto was the translator for Chief Massasoit when they struck a deal with the Pilgrims. Not to spoil it, but they sit down and they decide that both sides can help each other because... Apparently the Wapadog already had their numbers decimated from sickness and military conflict. And they weren't really looking for a fight. as well. I mean, they could have absolutely annihilated them. That that made clear. However, they saw the Pilgrims as like, if we keep them, then they could be a military buffer. Also, we'll be able to show them how they could live. Maybe they could be useful to us. And they also had technology that interests the Wapadog Things from Europe that didn't exist in the New World, things like um, like hand saws to be able to chop trees more efficiently, things like that. So the Wampanoag were interested in having the Pilgrims hang out, and the Pilgrims, all the help, anything you need. They were gonna, they were probably gonna starve to death in a year or two if they didn't get help from the, the native population. So, okay, here's the thing: the Wampanoag, a handful of people in the Wampanoag tribe, were like, we should just kill them all. Why are we even talking to them? Well, we just kill everybody. Now the translator, Squanto is said to have persuaded the Wampanoag into making the treaty because Squanto said that the Pilgrims had dr- had kegs or drums of germs and like biological weapons on their boat. And if the Wampanoag attacked them, they would use the biological weapons against the Wampanoag, which was not true. The thing said, Squanto just made this up because he wanted to be the go-between between the Pilgrims and the Wampanoag to be able to increase his own political clout moving forward. So the Wampanoag were maybe going to kill the Pilgrims, but this dude Squanto kind of dick-chained it a little bit and was like, yo, we got weapons of mass destruction over there. Squanto was like the first guy with two cell phones. He was kind of playing both sides, apparently, And then, but it worked out. The Wampanoag were like, all right, we'll make a treaty. We'll keep him around. I don't know if that WMD thing is real or not, but either way, we could use him as a military buffer. The Pilgrims were like, nice! I don't even know what happened there i'll just take the treaty so a treaty was struck and uh they did exchange goods and then uh smoke a peace pipe together now the next spring summer and fall were a crucial learning period for the pilgrims they had to learn how to be self-sufficient but they had the native american wampanoag to show them how to use the land properly how to play the seasons how to fish when to fish to be able to self-sustain and then um oh also this um this pilgrim, not everybody in the Pilgrims' colony of Plymouth Rock was of the religious domination. There were secular members too, and that's why the system of government, the Mayflower Compact, applied to both people of the church and people that were outside of the church. That they had the same they they could all they could all vote and they all had a voice in government. So spring, summer, fall passed. This brings us to the actual first Thanksgiving. It was a three-day harvest festival. Chief Massasoit brings ninety dudes to party and five deer. And the party lasts three days long. They hang out with the pilgrims. And that is the story of the first Thanksgiving. Now, years after the death of both Bradford and Chief Massasoit, war does break out between European settlers and the Native Americans. Um, but that is the story of the first Thanksgiving. I'd, again, I, if you would have asked me, Three days ago, off the top of my head, what were the boats called that they came over on? I would have said Nina Pinta, Santa Maria. So I just wanted to do a quick holiday refresher. It's a short week. This will be kind of a short episode. Either going to have a guest on Patreon or uh, Zoltar on Black Friday this week. So thanks so much for listening, guys. Um, and I'll either talk to you uh, later on this week on Friday or next Monday. I hope everybody has a uh, happy Thanksgiving and stay safe. All right. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you later.